finally made it to the mechanic. Hey, are you the mechanic? Uh, yeah, how can I help you? Yeah, see, it's been a really, really long day. So my community light came on, and then I found this guy, and he helped me out. My worship light turned on, and we found this girl, she was running, and she came and she fixed it. And then my growth light came on, and we found another girl walking, and she came by and she fixed it. But then my sacrifice light came on, and this girl, she sacrificed her time away from her friends to help us out, and then the light turned off. If I'm just worried about my car, I feel like everything's okay with, you know, with those things fixed, but can you take a look at it? All right, well, uh, I guess, can you pop your hood open? I'll take a look. Yeah, I think I could do that. Um, to be honest, I don't know what the problem is with your car. It looks like everything's perfect. Are you sure? Even better than perfect. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you could, I guess you could just start hitting the road. There shouldn't be any problems. Hmm. Looks like my car was fine all along. All I needed was a little bit of community. A little bit of worship, a little bit of growth, and a little bit of sacrifice. We're better together, and it's time for us to tell the world. And live from Arlington, Virginia, it's, it's the world! It's open parking. Open park parking. Want. Right, thank you. <laughs> I think it's done now, right? There we go. All right, well, welcome, everybody, to the final week here in the Body Shop Series. I'm so happy that you're joining us. And as you just saw in the video up there on the screen, is that we're wrapping up a series that we started talking about what does it mean to be a member of the body of Christ and what do we need to be healthy members? And as you saw with our friends in the car every week, is that we went through the five pillars, the five vital signs, if we talked about the church as a body, a living being, the five vital signs that let us know we're on our right track. And we saw our friends there. We talked about community, investing in one another because the early church, the guys who were most healthy were not living isolated lives. They were living together lives. They weren't just living together in a social way. They were a life of worship and prayer centered around the presence of God in their midst. When they gathered together, they knew that their goal was not just to grow older together, but to grow up and to mature spiritually. And we talked about spiritual growth and its importance. And then last week might have been the one that opened our eyes the most because we saw how being a member of the church, a true member of the church, means I cannot just live for myself. I have to live a sacrificial life, a giving life. And we saw how the early church set a very, very high bar for us, what it means to sacrifice and to give. And we said that we may not be able to reach that point, but we at least need to reevaluate where we are in terms of our giving willingly, tithe, and our giving uh, generously as far as charity as well. Last pillar that we're going to talk about today may be the one that is most on my heart these days. Not maybe, definitely. That ever since the start of this year, 2015, it has been on my heart that this is the one that I want us as a church family to focus on and never, ever, ever lose sight of it. Because I honestly believe with all my heart that the day that the church loses sight of this vital sign, this pillar, it ceases instantly to become the church of Christ. It ceases instantly to become the body of Christ, and it degenerates into something it was never, ever meant to be. And I bet you your experience would tell you the same thing. And that fifth one is evangelism or witnessing. And we're going to start here with this verse from Acts chapter 5, verse 42. Talk about the life of evangelism and witnessing in the early church. And it says this. It says, and daily in the temple... And in every house, remember what I said in the beginning. I said, we're trying to be healthy. The picture of health that we're, we're staring, we're comparing ourselves to is these guys in the book of Acts in the very beginning. And these guys daily in the temple and in every house did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And that word preaching, which you see there in red, is a Greek word which is evangelia. 
Evangelia. Can you say that with me? Say Evangelia. Who's a real sharp person and has taken years and years and years of Greek to tell me what they think Evangelia means? It means evangelism. The word Evangelia, okay, or the, the derivative of it, okay, it just means to, it means evangelism. Now, the thing is, evangelism in our day and time has kind of started to take on a negative connotation amongst both Christians and non-Christians. Like, this is the one thing that can unify Christians and non-Christians is their hatred for the word evangelism and even worse, for evangelist. Because evangelism or evangelist in our minds, usually it kind of taken two extremes. An evangelist either means someone who is rude, intolerant, pushy, judgmental, critical. The guy standing at the side saying the end is near. The end is near. That guy with crazy hair. That's an evangelist. Or the other extreme is that it's the, the slick guy. You know what I mean? Usually kind of big, slick hair, big, high hair. And he's talking a mile a minute. He's like a used car salesman and send your money to me. So we kind of, evangelism means either obnoxious or like in it for something for yourself, have an agenda. But is that what evangelism really means? That's not what evangelia means. Evangelia, remember how we talked about liturgy and we said liturgy is not a spiritual word. It just means a group of people doing something together, but it's come to mean spiritual things in our time. Evangelia, evangelism is the same way. It's not a spiritual word. It doesn't mean to preach Christianity. It doesn't mean to proselytize. It doesn't mean to force people to convert. It doesn't mean it have nothing to do with conversion at all. The word evangelism simply means sharing good news. It means I heard something that I like and I want to tell you. You know the best example of evangelism? is our moms. When they find something on sale at the grocery store, what do they do? They're evangelists. Oh, $1.99 per pound on whatever at Wegmans. Oh, you went to Costco, paid $2.99, I got $1.99 of that. Oh, look at these new shoes. I got these new shoes for this. Or, or gentlemen with the iPhone, or I look at this, I got this from Craig, whatever it is. That's evangelism. Evangelism means I heard something really nice, and I want to tell you about it. It has nothing to do with proselytizing or converting or baptizing or anything like that. It's not a spiritual word. It's just a word of joy that means that you heard something good and you want to share that. Some examples of how this word is used in, in the scripture. Okay, Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. The first evangelist in the scripture, the, in the New Testament, I should say. The first evangelist in the New Testament was who? Watch here. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings. That word good tidings, all right, I'm sorry. The word good tidings, that's that word, good news, sharing good news. That word good tidings, it comes from the root of evangelia as well. It's the same thing, means sharing good news. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Does that seem pushy to anybody? Is that offensive? Is that intolerant? Is that judgmental? No, that's just an angel. He said, hey, you funny little shepherds over here. I got good news for you. There's a Savior born right over here. You want to come see him? It'll be the best day of your life. It'll be a day that's written about for the rest of all eternity. People celebrate it with candles and presents and Santa Claus and all this kind of stuff this day. I'm telling you some good news. That's not pushy. That's evangelism. That's evangelism. You know who else was a big evangelist, even though we don't like the word? Jesus was. Look what it says here in Luke chapter 8, verse 1. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings. Again, same root, evangelia, of the kingdom of God. Jesus was an evangelist. Jesus went around. He told people, I got good news for you. God loves you. And God wants to invite you to be part of his family. And he brought here good news. It says there's a judgment day. So if you don't repent, you're going to be in trouble. But if you repent today, all sins are forgiven. Samaritan woman, I got good news for you. Is that for you, you can receive water that make you never thirsty again. Bread that make you never hungry. This is what Jesus did. This is evangelism. Get rid of the idea. See, just like we did when we talked about giving. We have in our mind... The priest's going to come tell me to give because he wants a new car or he wants a race. That's not giving in the Bible. We say the same thing with evangelism. Evangelism, we're going to come here and the priest has some quota he needs to fulfill, all right, of a certain number of people he need to get baptized for his statistics or something like that. That's not evangelism. Get rid of that from your mind. Let's go, and just like we did last week, let us unlearn what we know about it, what we think we know about evangelism, and let us try to see it 
from God's perspective, a biblical perspective, an early church perspective, how evangelism is supposed to fit in my life. If you go to the early church and you ask them about evangelism, they would tell you that evangelism was not an event that they did. They didn't do evangelism events. They didn't do trips, mission trips. They were none of that kind of stuff. Evangelism was everyday life for them. Actually, it was actually part of their mission statement. I bet you if you ask the early church, give me your mission statement. Everyone needs a mission statement, okay? The early church had a mission statement. It was given to them by their CEO and director, by their Lord, all right, before, right when he ascended up to heaven, he sent the angel to come down, all right, and the angel told them this. He said, but you, they were asking, where did you go, Lord? We thought we were going to be with you forever. And he went up and the angel came down and said, don't worry about where he went. This is, you do this until he comes back. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I believe if you ask the early church, Peter, Paul, uh, James, John, what's your mission statement? Why do you guys exist? They would say we exist to be witnesses to him and in his resurrection in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. That's who we are. It's not an event we do. It is part of our very fabric, our being as members of the body of Christ. Witnesses gives us the key in understanding what does it mean to do evangelism. And I say evangelism is this. The goal of witnessing, witnessing and evangelism, I'm going to use them interchangeably. The goal of witnessing is not to bring others to Christ, but rather to bring Christ to others. Big difference. Jesus told them, I'm sorry, the angel told them, your job is not to be salesmen. What's the job of a salesman? Make a sale. The job of a salesman is by the end of this conversation, you sign your name on the dotted list, you put some money in my pocket or you join whatever club, that's a salesman. Jesus did not say to be salesmen. Jesus did not say to be lawyers. Lawyers the job is I defend something and I convince you that my client is innocent or my client is whatever. I don't need to convince you about nothing. He said, be a witness. What is a witness's job? A witness's job has nothing to do with you, has everything to do with me. A witness's job is to stand up in front of whoever is listening and say, this is the truth. This is the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. That's what a witness's job is, right? A witness doesn't matter if the judge believes him or don't believe him. Doesn't matter if the jury says guilty or don't guilty. Doesn't matter what the jury, doesn't matter what anybody says. The witness's job is to stand up and say the truth. And that's what we are commanded to do. We are not commanded to bring others to Christ. We are commanded to bring Christ to others. Bringing others to Christ implies some kind of, this is the way we think and this is not the right way of thinking. Some kind of conversion that needs to take place. Some kind of line that we need to get them across to be able to say that we did it successfully. And then that becomes the focus. Get them across the line, throw them away and go on to the next person. Get him across the line, throw him away, and go on to the next person. That is not at all what Jesus meant when he said, be a witness. I, my job is not to get anybody across any line. My job is not to convert or proselytize. Or, that's not my job. People abuse that, and that's what happened in the dark ages with the, all the funny stuff, the holy wars and things like that. That's not what Jesus commanded. What Jesus commanded is, you go and stand in front of this group of people. I see that guy right there, and I'm going to be Jesus to that guy. And that guy's going to walk away from this conversation saying, he met Christ today. And then I'm going to go over there, and me and him are going to go out to coffee. And by the end of that time of our coffee, he's going to say, I feel like I saw Jesus today. And I'm going to sit with that boy over there or that gentleman there or that lady right there or whoever it is. I'm going to go play basketball with that group of guys. And by the end of that time, that group of people is going to say, I don't know who that funny man was, but there's something about him. I feel like I saw God today. Can I, let's flip it. If my goal is to convert all of Arlington and bring all of Arlington and make them a member of the church and force them to be baptized, what father, son, the Holy Spirit. Can I succeed in that? Can I succeed? No, we can't succeed in that. But can I succeed that by the end of the day, everywhere we went and everyone we interacted with, the people saw Christ? I can't go convert all of Puerto Rico today. But I can walk into Puerto Rico and make sure that the lady across the counter, that she sees Christ today. That I can do. I love this verse from Luke chapter 10. It, it, it hits the essence of what I'm trying to say right here. When Jesus sent out the apostles, look how he sent them out. This is how he sends us out into Arlington as well, or wherever you're from. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. 
Y'all go into the to the to the to the Starbucks today. And I want you to think that as I'm walking, who's right behind me? Who's about to walk in? Jesus is about to walk in. He's coming and he sent me to prepare the way. And I was supposed to go in there and prepare the way. So by the time I leave, people say, I saw Christ today. I saw his face. That's the goal of evangelism. That's what being a witness means. And that is what is required of us as members of his body. It can't be anything otherwise. A healthy church cannot be anything other than an image of Christ himself. A healthy Christian cannot be anything other than an image of Christ himself in their workplace, with their wife, with their children, with, with their boss, with anything. The reason why we do everything we do in church is that we come, we catch fire, we receive Christ, and then we go out and light the world on fire. And if you disconnect either one of those two, the coming and connecting or the lighting the world on fire, then you cannot be the church that Jesus had in store. Why? Why is it so important? What does it mean if I disconnect evangelism and witnessing from the life of the church? What does it imply if I say that all of us, we keep this good news a secret, if no one shares nothing about it? What that implies is that the news isn't that good. Because I, got, I, I tell you something. If someone walks out of here today, or someone's sitting there right now and gets a text message, you know you shouldn't check text messages in church, but let's say you get a text message in church, and it says that you just won $10 million. What's the next thing going to happen? You're going to stand up on the chair, scream to the top of your lungs. And you want to make sure that everyone around you knows it. And there's no way you're going to say, oh, that's nice. And walk and say, well, but listen to Father Anthony, what he's saying is very important. If you really believed that you won $10 million, you'd stand up and scream. But you know what? Some of you wouldn't stand up and scream. Some of you would see a text message and not say anything. Why? Because you didn't believe that it's true. You think it's not true. You wouldn't believe that it's for you. You think it's just a hoax, just a scam, just a... So what I'm telling you is there is no way that you can believe in the good news, believe in the gospel, believe in the salvation that has been given to us and keep it to yourself. Hey, just like you wouldn't keep a lottery winning to yourself. Imagine I find a woman in my dreams, Marianne, and I say, I want to marry you, but shh, don't tell anybody. Let's keep it just our secret. And you're the one, the love of my life and nothing better than you, but I don't want anybody to know that. And let's just keep it between you. Hush, hush. It don't work that way. If something is special to us, it has to come out in our words. And that's why if we're truly going to be a church, the church of Christ, if we're truly going to be people who receive Christ, the world has to know about it. What happens to us if we don't have evangelism? Like I talked about those five things, the community, the worship, the growth and maturity, and the giving and the evangelism. If we, all we do is community, community is very important. We love community. Some people love community. If all we do is community, 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 and event after event, you know what we are? We're a family reunion church. Do you know what a family reunion church is? Is the church where you walk in, you automatically feel like an outsider because everyone there is all in everyone's business and they're so happy, but they're just the same 10 group of people, 10 people that know each other forever and no one else joins that little group. They're called a clique. We're never gonna be a clique. Let's say we're all about worship and we worship and we worship and we worship and nothing else. Then you know what we are? We're selfish. That's what we are. We say we want more God to ourselves, and more God to ourselves, and more God, more God. We don't want anybody to know about it. Let's say we're spiritual growth church. And we focus so much on, on, on growing spiritually and knowing more and learning. You know what we are? We're probably going to be mean people. Because the meanest people are those who know the most and practice the least. Those are the meanest people in this world who know the most and practice the least. Say we're sacrificing church. That's fantastic. And we're giving for one another. That's great. But the fullness, the fullness, the fullness of the church is when we're not just sacrificing for each other and giving for each other, but we go outside of these doors and everywhere we go, we are Christ to this world. Why this is so important and why I say this is something we need to focus on, because I believe, and I hope you believe too, witnessing matters because we have the cure for an eternal disease. You believe that or don't believe that? Let's say today you walk out of here and you discover the cure for cancer hits you in the head. What are you going to do? You don't have cancer. Thank God. 
Someone gives you here, here's a little piece of paper, and this is the cure for cancer. What are you going to do with that piece of paper? Sleep on it? You have the power in your hands that a disease, which so many people, like if we took a survey right here, how many people know someone who has been affected by cancer, probably died of the cancer? I'd say probably 75% of their hands would go up. Every one of us knows someone that has been affected by cancer or probably died with cancer. And you have in your hands the ability to cure it. Are you going to keep that to yourself? Are you just going to put it in your pocket? You should be thrown in jail. You should be beaten severely while you're in jail if you keep that to yourself. Because you have the ability to end suffering for so many millions of people in this world. And you keep it to yourself? I don't want to be rude. I don't want to be offensive. I'm telling you, with all due respect to those who have lost people to cancer, we have something much better than the cure to cancer. We have something much better. There's a disease out there, like cancer usually ends in death, but some people don't. This disease, 100% of the time is death. 100%. Never failed. 100% is death. And the death is an eternal death. Not just a limited death, an eternal death. And that disease is called sin. And we, through the gospel that has been given to us, have the cure for sin. And not just sin in the eternal sense. Sin in a day-to-day sense. The effects of sin. The loneliness. That so many people struggle with loneliness. We have the cure for that in the gospel. The feeling of insecurity and the feeling of low, like low self-esteem and no confidence. We have the cure for that inside knowing who we are in Christ. The anger, the bitterness, the resentment, the, all those things, the hatred inside so many people's hearts. You know those people are just, just bogged down with the bitterness. We have the cure for that in the gospel. And I'm telling you, if we don't give people that cure, people will suffer eternal consequences if they don't have that cure. And we can keep it in my pocket because I don't want to be offensive. That's offensive. I'm offended by that. Now you're sitting there and saying, hey, wait a minute, Father Anthony, slow down. We didn't discover no cure for cancer. You tell me that I tell people to read the Bible, it's going to solve all their problems? Tell people to come to church, it's going to solve all their problems? No, I didn't say the Bible solves their problems. I didn't say coming to church solves their problems. And in fact, some people go to church for many years and they increase the problems in the world. I'm saying the gospel solves all problems. The good news of Christ, everything is solved in that good news of Christ. And what is that good news of Christ? Let's go gospel 101 right here. And we're going to use smiley faces, okay, because I'm a smiley face kind of a guy. In the beginning, God created man. And when God created man, God created man how? to live with him for eternity. And between God and man, there was nothing. And Adam and Eve, they were chilling with God in the garden and they had fellowship with him and God walked with them and God talked with them and God created stuff for them and named that, that's a dog and that's an elephant. And and life was good. And everything, 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 everything was so, so, so good. That was God's vision, that God and man would live together forever and happily ever after. But unfortunately, by page two of the book, man messed things up by page two. And a little sneaky little serpent guy, the devil came in the picture and he introduced man to something called sin. Because God, in his love and his respect for man, did not treat man like a slave, did not treat man like a dog, did not treat man like a robot. He gave him the ability to make choices. And he said, man, I give you the ability to choose with your free will whether to stay with me or to break, the, break my rule, which in essence is breaking the relationship. And man chose that. And man sinned, and man listened to the devil. And automatically, there was now a separation. And God did the worst thing that any parent would ever have to do. God kicked his son out of the house. And any parent knows that if you're going to kick your son out of your house, it's going to hurt you more than it hurts them. And your only way you're going to do it is if there's really, 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 that's the last choice. That's what had to happen here. Adam and Eve had to get out of the garden. God had to put an angel to guard the way so they couldn't come back in. What's next? Go on to plan B, right? All right, God, we tried those human being things. Didn't work out very well. There's only two of them. They messed the whole thing up. Let's uh, have a relationship. Uh, let's, uh, the dogs and the elephants and things like that. Let's hang out with them. Let's make more angels. Let's hang out with those guys. God said, you know what? I kind of like that man. And the angel said, no, 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 no. It's funny. Okay, like, again, he wasn't very sharp. Okay, like you gave him a million trees and don't touch one. He wanted that one like, Let's create a new one, a superhuman smart one that has a little more of a brain. And God said, yeah, well, but I really like that guy. And God said, you know what? I want to bring that guy back. 
And the angel said, no, you can't come back. Because he did. And there you said, anyone who sins, sin is death. You can't. And God said, okay. But you know what? I'm God, so I can probably figure this one out. So God came up with the plan. And the starting of the plan, he sent Moses down. Tell the people, do not murder, uh, do not commit adultery. Send those, those guys down there. And the people heard the law and they couldn't keep the law. Send the prophets down. Maybe they couldn't uh, do nothing. And then send the king. Send David. He's a good guy. Send uh, none of those guys. You know what? You want to get a job done right? You got to do it yourself. So God came down and God took flesh. And when God came down and took flesh, he made a way. He made a way. He opened a way that we could go back. You know how he opened that way? He came through it this way, and he says, I got it, y'all go. And he became sin so that we could become righteousness. He took what is ours, as we so often say, so that we could have what is his. He made a way. He opened a gate. Is this good news? Yeah, this is good news. This is what we celebrate every Sunday. We gather together around the table of the Lord for the celebrate the Eucharist. We celebrate that he came and took what is ours and then gave us what is his. That's why what we do, we talked about this before. If you take a piece of bread, all right, nothing fancy in that bread, and we offer it to him, and he comes down, and he does something to it, and then he offers it back to us. And through that exchange, we end up on the right side. Is that good news or not good news? If you asked Adam, who got kicked out of this garden, hey, Adam, look what we found right here. We got a chance to go back inside and be one with him. Is that good news? Adam would say, yeah, jump on it. I'm the dumbest person in the world for what I did. Jump on that. Hey, Moses, we got a chance that we could be in Christ. Is that, oh, that's the best thing in the world. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David. This is good news. This is the best news ever. Well, I had a question for you. If it's such good news, who in the world is going to share this news? Because a lot of people don't know, know this news. We don't even barely understand this news. We sit here, come to church every day, and we barely understand this. Who's gonna, this is not an intuitive thing. If we don't share this news, people won't know it. Too many people out there have heard the wrong thing about this news. And they've heard that this exchange is you got to do certain works, and you got to do this, and there's a very high bar, and you got to pay this money to be a member. And they heard the wrong thing about this exchange. Who's going to tell them it's free? Who's going to show them that there's no condemnation? Who's going to show them that, that all of the ills of society, every single one, of them, I'm not going to go into it now, but every single one can be solved by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every single one. There's so many people in the world today who are living here when God wants them to live here. They're living here. Pit of sin, despair, bitterness, anger, hate. Like, you, you go on, go on, go on. And God wants them to live here. And we know the path. Not saying that we're perfect in it. Not saying that we're living up here. But at least we know the path. Who's going to share that? if we don't share it. There's a priest, a Greek priest, named Father John Romanides, who says this. He says, the task of the church is to preach to people that the true God exists and that God is revealed either as light or consuming fire and that at the second coming of Christ, all of us will see God. He's saying here, when we're in the church, man, we're not playing games in the church. I'm not just coming here for coffee. Like, we don't care. We don't care if we have one member, a hundred. We don't care about, we're not doing that stuff. Doesn't matter if people come to our barbecue or don't come to our barbecue. Doesn't matter if people, like, that stuff doesn't matter. What matters is that people know that God exists and that at the end they're going to see him. And there's two options of how they're going to see him. The Bible says that God is light. And light has two manifestations as we, as we understand it in eternity. As glowing, drawing light, Beautiful light draws us near, or light as fire, which consumes and burns. Bottom line is, every single person will see God. And it's our job as the church to help people get ready for that day. Someone else once said that we as the church 
we're not preaching to win people or, or, or anything like that. What we are, we preach as beggars, starving, who just found a truck of bread. That's how we preach. Y'all ever seen the way hungry, homeless people are when they find something? Actually, the most generous people in the world are those people who live in the street. Because when someone finds, they all come. I don't know how. But they all know that all of a sudden there's bread here and they all know and they all come. You just show up on the street and there's free stuff that you're handing out. They all know where to come from because that's how they are. That's evangelism. And that's how we are. We don't sit here and preach condemnation. We preach salvation. We don't preach judgment. We preach victory and freedom. Now the question that I want to spend a few minutes on here is how to do that practically. Because we kind of agree, okay, so evangelism, what it is. It's witnessing. It's not preaching in the way that we think of. It's witnessing. It's just telling people, you know, what we heard, the good news, and why it's important because we have a cure for an eternal disease. How to do it practically. I did a series probably a year ago or two years ago. It was called Bold. And in that series, we talked about techniques all right, and how to do evangelism, how to do witnessing. And it was very simple. And we talked about, for those who remember, about like developing friendships and not just being in a group, in a church group, but like being out there and being part of our community and volunteering for stuff and getting to know people, not just in a little Christian huddle. And we talked about when we're there, we don't start by actually preaching. We start by actually listening. That's how we start by witnessing is by listening and asking questions to understand the person because anybody who's living away from God, no matter what they say, is, is miserable and is not content. And it's our job to kind of figure out what it is that caused them that situation. And then we talk about how to, how to share our story and how to witness. Very practical. Y'all can check that out online. But I just want to share more than a technique. I want to share an attitude or a spirit or a mindset that we need to be effective witnesses. And I'll say this. To be an effective witness, one thing. Hardest thing in the world. I must be willing to walk outside my comfort zone. I must be willing to walk outside my comfort zone. Oftentimes we think of evangelism or mission in terms of trips. All right? Let's go and do mission. Let's go and do evangelism. And then let's retreat back to our homes and safety. Well, I want to say this. That being a true witness means you have to go outside of your comfort zone. And the first place, when, you, when I say comfort zone, what is the place that's most comfortable? It's that closest to home place. When the angel gave the command to be witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. And he said, start in Jerusalem. Yes, you're going to go to the ends of the earth, but I want you to start being witness in Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? What does Jerusalem represent? Don't overcomplicate this one. We come up with all kinds of spiritual reasons of why Jerusalem and what it means and our own people. Look, forget about that stuff. You know what Jerusalem means? Apostles, start in Jerusalem, okay? No, let's say the apostles saying, you, go, you all be witnesses. Okay, where should we start? You know what the angel told him? He said, look down at your feet. Where are your feet standing? They're in Jerusalem. Okay, start in Jerusalem. And when, you, when the angel told him to start in Jerusalem, he simply meant start where you are. Start where, if you are in Arlington, start in Arlington. If you're in Rockville, start in Rockville. If you're in Fairfax, start in Fairfax. Evangelism and witnessing begins by going out of our comfort zone where we already are. It doesn't mean going somewhere. Yes, going somewhere is very important, and that to the ends of the earth, we never fail that, that command. But my point is, I don't want to make it an event. I want to make it a lifestyle where everywhere we go, we are witnesses to Christ. I like this verse from 2 Timothy 4.2. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. So he starts off, before you read the second half there, starts off by saying, in front of God and in front of his kingdom, which you will stand in front of, I charge you with this. So you, whatever it is, yes, sir. Okay, like is it's in front of God, yes, sir. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. He says preach the word. And we already agreed what preach means doesn't mean the forceful, annoying kind of way. Be ready in season and out of season. What's the difference between in season and out of season? Why, why say that? In season, out of season. What's the difference? I don't know. It just means like, like if I said in winter or not in winter. It means year round. Like it's either in season or it's out of season. Is there, any, is there a third option is my question? Is there either not in season or not out of season, but just like suspended between seasons? 
either in summer or out of summer, means whatever day it is, do it. Wherever it is that you stand, do it. Be ready in season, be ready when you are happy, and be ready when you're sad. Be ready when you came home from church on cloud nine, and be ready when you came home ready to kill your spouse. Be ready at all times to preach the word, because it's that important. God teaches me this lesson, no matter how many times I forget it, or I want to forget it, God teaches me this lesson every time I travel at an airport. Every time. Every time. Those who know me, I hate to travel. I hate to travel. I'll say this in the camera for those watching. I hate it when you invite me to travel. I hate it. I hate it. I hate airplanes. I hate security. I hate that, that my knees don't fit. Like, I, I, I hate it. I hate it that I can't go to the bathroom when it's during ta- I hate it. Okay? I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But unfortunately, I have to travel. And when I travel, like, my stomach and I get tired. Like, it just it messes me up. So I like when I travel, like, I, I got, I'm in my zone. Okay? Like, I, I have an agenda what I'm going to do to keep myself occupied, my mind uh, away. Like, so I have the way I like to do things. I don't like to be interrupted in my sequence of events. Every time I'm interrupted in my sequence of events. There's one time, I can't remember where I was going. It was about probably, I think it was last summer, but I don't remember exactly. I was coming back from a trip. And especially at the way back, I'm always tired. And I always, all I want to do is sleep. That's all I want to do. And I remember this particular trip, I was coming back, it was like a Friday into Saturday. It was an international trip. So I was coming back Friday into Saturday, meaning like I would leave Friday in the afternoon or whatever it is and come back Saturday morning. And, and for me, already, like, like oh, Sunday is a very important day for me, obviously. So I like to get rest. I like to be prepared, like all this kind of stuff. So I said, on this plane, I'm going to do two things. Two things. Only, these are the only two options. Either I'm going to prepare my message I'm going to be fully prepared, so that way when I come home, I can sleep, or I'm going to sleep and then prepare when I come home. These are the only two options. I have a certain number of hours. I need to sleep. I need to prepare. Nothing else can take place. If I can't prepare, I'm going to sleep. If I can't sleep, I'm going to prepare. This is all I'm going to do. First thing that happens, as with every one of my flights, delayed. Instantly, I walk in. They say flight delayed. Everyone around me goes, uh, and I always tell them, it's my fault. It is my fault. And I tell them, this flight is going to be delayed. It's one, I'm Jonah. Throw me overboard and everything goes fine. Every one of my flights is delayed. It gets delayed. That's fine. It ends up being delayed like two hours, something like that. Whatever. I notice around me when we're sitting there, because you know when flights are delayed, people start to bond and become friends and everyone starts talking all that stuff. There's a lot of Arabic being spoken around me. But they don't look like people that I would know. Long so I, I discovered what happened was it was a group of about 50 Middle Eastern girls very few of them were Christian. I think only just a few of them. On some kind of, I can't remember, like international exchange program from somewhere in the Middle East, like these, these they were either college or graduate level girls, some, some kind of program. Don't ask me what it was. Something very, very smart. These are smart people. And they're talking in Arabic. And of course, I'm just trying to hide. Okay? Because I don't want to talk. I want to sleep or prepare. Talking is not one of the options. We're about to board. And we get in the line. And like I said, at this point in time, everyone's friends with everyone. I kept to myself. I did a very good job of headphones, like pretending I don't. I, sometimes it's just empty. There's nothing actually playing. But it's just a way of, <laughs> I gave away my secret there. Anyway, we're about to board. And this girl comes to me. She, she was probably 22, 23, something like that. And she came to me and said, are you a priest? And every piece of me wanted to say, no, nah, I'm just getting ready for Halloween a little early this year. <laughs> Because I knew where this was going. I knew where this was going. Yes, I'm a priest. And then she asked me a question. She said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. I'm friendly. Like, I'm friendly. I'm saying this now, but I'm very friendly. Okay. She said, can I trust God no matter what he says? Can I trust God no matter what he says? And I said, what do you mean? She said, if I obey God, does that mean that it's always going to work out good for me. How would you answer that question? You never answer that question. You never answer that question. You never. Witnessing 101, you never answer that question. You ask questions. I didn't answer. Because on the surface, the answer appears to be yes. After I dug a little bit, she, long story short, was single, but had a married boyfriend, 
and she felt God telling her to do something very not good to that married boyfriend's wife. But obviously doing that would have had some repercussions. So she basically wanted to know, if I trust God and obey God, will everything work out for me? Thank God I didn't say yes. <laughs> because her idea of what trusting God was was completely wrong. That's why you never answer these questions. You always ask more information because there's always a story. No one just wants to know randomly, um, should I trust God? No one wants that. There's always a story. Anyway, long story short, 45 minutes later, we're still on the ground. We still haven't boarded the thing. All right. We've gone through everything that we need to go through. I prayed for her. I told her to pray. She told me, how do I pray? I taught her how to pray. Gave her my Egbea, prayed together. Even on the flight when eventually we boarded, as I'm sleeping, at one point in time, she came to me. She's like, you're not sleeping, are you? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and she told me, I'm struggling in this night. Pray for me. So I prayed. Like, we went through all that kind of stuff together. Did I convert her? No. Did I baptize her? Definitely no. Did I uh, teach her about the importance of fasting during Lent and coming to church on time? And, and I didn't teach her none of that stuff. But what I hope is that by the end of the 45 minutes together, that I hope that I was a witness to Christ and the truth of Christ and the promise of Christ and the salvation if she does understand the truth of Christ. I didn't convert her. I, I, like, that, like if that's your evangelism, I was a failure of evangelism. But I hope that I was a witness to her, and I believe that I was, regardless of the outcome. What I want you to realize is this. I said go out of your comfort zone. There is a myth that is in your head that is people don't want to talk about spiritual things. And I promise you, there's nothing further from the truth. People will not admit they want to talk about it. Follow me around for a day, and you will see that everyone wants to talk about spiritual things. Just the other day, I was in this coffee shop, and this guy, like, I walk into a coffee shop, everyone looks the way I'm dressed. I looked the way he was dressed. Like, this guy was dressed crazy, and the hair, and the, 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 all kinds of stuff. And I'm staring at him, and like, <laughs> this guy came to me as I'm in line, and I'm ordering something, and he like snuck up behind me, and kind of jumped me a little bit, and he's like, do you believe in Genesis 6, is it the angel of this, or the verse of this? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, do you believe the Genesis 6 translation of this or the translation of this? And I, I didn't know what he was talking about. He wanted to engage me in some spiritual discussion, which I was just scared for my life at the moment that he was going to ask something. People want to talk about spiritual things. Just yesterday, we went to the movie, Do You Believe? All the people who went and saw that. There was trailers, endless trailers, more trailers than I remember going to when I was seeing the movie. It was like four or five Christian movies that are coming out in the next few months. And I don't even think they're meant for Christian purposes. They're meant because people are interested in that stuff. Did y'all see the, all these movies that are coming out there, like about God and one about resurrection and there's Moses and all this? People want to talk about spiritual things. They may not want to talk about religion, but they do want to talk about spiritual things because these days everyone is spiritual in their own kind of weird way. Everyone thinks they're spiritual. You know who doesn't want to talk about spiritual things? You. It's not them. The bottleneck is the speaker, not the hearer. Maybe it used to be different when we were kids. Maybe it was generations ago that we wanted to preach and people didn't want to hear. That is not the case today. And I guarantee you of it, if you are willing to take a step out of your comfort zone, you will discover that very same thing that I discover every time I go on an airplane. That's why for us here at STSA, one of our core values is a personal call to evangelism, which is this. We believe that the call to evangelism and witnessing applies to us just as much as it did to the apostles in the early church. That's a big statement. And God will hold me accountable to its completion. We believe that the same way God said, Peter, you have to evangelize, you have to witness. And there would be no Christianity unless Peter witnessed. And Paul, you have to witness as well. And if you don't, there would be no Christianity in the world. We wouldn't be here today unless those guys did their job. Well, I believe, and you believe it too, if you're a member of this church, you believe it as well, that we are just as responsible to that call for evangelism as they were. Each one of us will be held accountable to it. Not that each one of us is responsible to preach to the whole world, but each one of us is called to be a witness to my world. And when you do your job, and you do your job, and you do your job, and you do your job, the world will be reached. Because you know what? Peter can't preach to the world. Peter can't preach to anyone in 2015. Neither can St. Paul. And I can't preach to anybody in your world. You can't preach to people in my world. But if you do your job and you do your job and you do your job, and you know what? We'll get this place covered. And that's what it means to be a member of the eternal body of Christ is that we're the same. We're no different. That it's, it's, it's not about the time that you live in. It is one chain. 
started by Jesus himself, given to Peter, Paul, Mark, James, John, who gave it to their disciples, who gave it to their disciples, who gave it to their disciples, who gave it to our parents, who brought this over here into Arlington, Virginia, then gave it to us. And now it is our job to go out and give it to the next person in front of us. Because I believe that here in this church, I believe that we got something good. And I hope you believe that too. We got something good here. I'm not saying me. I'm saying we got something really, really good. And every single person knows somebody, watch what I'm going to say, who needs to be here. Who needs it. Who needs this good news. Who needs go down our core values. Who needs that limitless acceptance. Who needs a place where they can walk in and not feel judged and just know that God loves them and we love them regardless of how they come. Everyone needs to feel part of an authentic community, a body of believers, not living isolated lives. Too many people are living isolated. But you know somebody like I know somebody who could benefit so much from having a community around him, a community that would lift him to transformational communal worship, bring him in the presence of God, not just leave him down this earth, and then encourage him to go out there and to passionately pursue God in every aspect of his life. You know somebody who's living a superficial Christian life, who needs that Christ-like integrity, they need to be challenged to forgive where they can't forgive, to love where they can't love, and to be challenged as far as their faith and their trust in God to increase and in where they believe God is taking them. And hopefully that faith will lead them to a life of irrational generosity and giving and not just living for themselves and their time and their money and everything to make everything that they have been given to use it for the glory of God. You know somebody that needs some, that, need that and I do question is, what are you going to do about it? Is that easy? No. And I promise you from my heart, I'm the worst. I just told you that story. I'm the worst person at evangelism. I'm good at this evangelism, this witnessing. I'm very bad at the one-on-one. Because I always feel like I'm a priest and people are going to feel awkward. And I, I, I'm the worst person at it. But you know what pushes me? You know what pushes me out of my comfort zone? I'll show you this verse right here. I'll tell you a story that goes with this verse. 1 Corinthians 9, 16. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. St. Paul is saying, when I preach, don't give me a cookie or a pat on the back. I don't have any other choice. Story. I've told you all the story before. True story. About a friend of mine who I haven't been the best at keeping in touch with, but... A friend of mine who has a disease of multiple sclerosis. All right. Friend who doesn't live here, lives far away. And this friend with multiple sclerosis, I knew him before he had it. Y'all know multiple sclerosis. It's like uh it, it's it's a it's a horrible disease. You just see the person disintegrate right in front of your eyes. Okay, like their muscles atrophy and deteriorate. Like it's a very it, it's a horrible disease. I knew this person before. Young, vibrant, like like sky's the limit for this guy. And I just seen him slowly deteriorate, 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 deteriorate. Like walking, can't walk. Wheelchair, I like, can't do anything. And like his mind is as sharp as a knife, but the speech is slurred. This guy has more faith than all of us combined. And this guy loves God and this guy never gets himself down. This guy's the best. But when you see his mom, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to see somebody watching their son die in front of them. It's hard. And I think to myself, if I had a cure for multiple sclerosis, if I had the cure for multiple sclerosis, and I said I would choose not to share it because I don't want to be offensive or I don't want to be put, whatever all the ridiculous reasons that we use. Could I look my friend in the face? Maybe. Could I look his mom in the face and say, I have behind my back here the answer that would save your son's life? And I say, I don't want to share it because it's inconvenient. Because it makes me feel funny. Because I want to sleep on the plane. I don't want to be tired in the morning. Man, if you could do that, you got more guts than I do. Can I hold in my hand 
the key to God's heart. The key to God's heart. Any father, the key to his heart is his children. Any father, the key to his heart is his children. And can I hold in my hand the key to God's heart, something that could bring God so much joy, so much joy, that someone, go read and go read in the New Testament about when a father, his son goes far, far, far away, and then that son comes back, listen to the joy in the father's voice. Something that would give the father so much joy, and I have the key, and I say, I don't want to share it. Something that would save the life of a father's daughter or son and bring him out of the pit of despair and bring him to the pinnacle of hope and victory. And I say, I don't want to share it. See why I say that God will hold me accountable to its completion? You see why I say that? Because all of us are going to stand in front of God one day. And you are going to be asked, not just about how you lived your life, but about what you were given, and you saw my son in front of you. I always say this, that if you see my son in the street, about to get hit by a car, and you just stand there and watch, you cannot say you love me. Do not come say you love me. I don't want to speak to you. I may forgive you, but do not ever speak to me again. I don't have anything to do with you. If you had a chance to save my son and push him out of the way and you chose not to, don't ever speak to me again. And how many of us see God's children about to get hit by a bus and we just watch and we don't want to be pushy and we don't want to be inconvenienced. And I love you, God. Please forgive me my sins. You got more guts than I do. I want to leave you all with this verse right here. And this verse changed my life. This is one of the first verses that I ever really, like, took to heart. And it's about this subject. Matthew 10, verse 32. It says, therefore, and it gives you the two extremes. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Yes, that's the best. That's the best verse ever. But it is followed up with the exact polar opposite. Whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Last week, I talked to you about giving, and I said about how one day you're going to stand in front of God, and someone's going to say, I wouldn't be here without you. I wouldn't be here without you. And I said, imagine the joy in that person's face. Say, I wouldn't be here unless you gave. I wouldn't be here unless you sacrificed for the church and the churches who saved me. Well, now forget about that person. And stand in front of God. And God... He's going to say, you see that, my son? That son? Thank you for bringing him to me. Thank you. How do you think that father's going to respond? Thank you for bringing my son. But then the flip side is if we stand in front of God and God say, I won't point to anyone, okay? So I've put that person in the cubicle next to you for 15 years. 15 years, you watched them get hit by a bus every day and didn't even flinch. And I love that son. And I died for that son. And I gave my own son for that son. And you just watch. I don't like to end on a sour note. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to invite the music team to come back up here, okay? And what we are going to do is spend a little bit of time, okay? We're going to sing a nice song here together, okay? And what we are going to do is reflect on exactly what I just said. Y'all can come back up. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Okay. And what we are going to reflect on, what we are going to reflect on is all of us are going to stand in front of God one day. And you're going to ask yourself, what is it that you want to hear when you go up there and stand in front of God? I'll tell you what I want to hear because I want to end positive. Okay, I won't tell you the negative. I want to hear, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. Come be made ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That's what I want to hear. And that's what I want you to hear. And that's what we want all of us. That's the reason why we come to church. That we would be prepared, like I said that quote earlier, that we know that there is a God and everyone will stand in front of him. And the goal of everything we do is to be prepared for that day, to hear those beautiful words. And I'm telling you, if witnessing is not part of your life and you there's no witnessing involved, then it is going to be very, very hard for you to say,
but I was faithful in what God gave me, and I pleased his heart. Let's stand up together. Okay. as we stand in front of you. We know, Lord, that all of us are standing in front of you now, but we know we will really stand in front of you one day. And every single person on this planet will stand in front of you. And we eagerly await that day, Lord. And we eagerly await to hear your beautiful voice inviting us to know you deeper and to live with you for all of eternity. We pray, Lord, that you would let us to be, help us to be faithful for these few years that we're here on this earth. And in whatever you've asked us and called us to do, but especially in this subject of witnessing of your beautiful and great and eternal and everlasting love, your mercy, which stretches from one end of the sky to the other, your forgiveness, which is deeper than the deepest ocean, your righteousness, Lord, and, and, and your victory that you've given us over every single evil thing in this world. Lord, you've given to us the key to the kingdom and you've allowed us to, to, to be part of your eternal family. And for that, we are eternally grateful for you, Lord. And we will show you our gratefulness by inviting people to be part of it as well. By caring not just about our own home in heaven, but caring about everyone else. By caring not just about what, how we're doing, but caring about how your children are doing. How the people in the cubicle next to us are doing. How the people in the house next to us are the people who are on the basketball team with us or any of the people that we interact with, Lord. That we know we're not just here for, to serve like an earthly purpose and to get an earthly mansion and, and to do earthly things, but we know that you have like an eternal heavenly purpose for each one of us. And we pray, Lord, that you'd give us the courage to walk out of our comfort zone to be witnesses of the great things that we have here. Lord, we thank you for this church. I thank you for every person who's part of this church. 
best church ever in the whole wide world and couldn't, wouldn't trade one person, Lord, wouldn't trade anything about this church that you've given to us, the rich, rich, rich faith, the great community, the beautiful people who love you and willing to do everything for you. Pray, Lord, that you would, you would put on our hearts who you want us to witness and invite to come and be part of your house so we could hear you say to us, I will never deny you in front of my father, but that you would confess us in front of your father and say, I know him. Enter into the joy of your Lord. We ask these things in the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers of all your saints. Here says we pray thankfully, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If you all don't mind, please have a seat.